0: I love communion Sundays I I love every opportunity I have to gather together with you people to worship but there is something about coming together as a faith family to this table there's just do you feel that every every time we come here we're coming to honor the living God in his presence there's something about the reality of knowing that Christ Jesus our Lord is going to meet us at this table it just builds an anticipation there's nothing like it there's nothing like it so if we have um, we've spent the last 10 months as we studied through Mark's gospel we spent the last 10 months focusing in on the spiritual realities behind these miracles that Jesus performed as Jesus would cause the lame to leap as he would cleanse the leper the blind to see the deaf to hear as Jesus would perform these just incredible works we were always looking to the spiritual reality behind those knowing that in these miracles in these works Jesus was providing evidence he was providing evidence behind his very person that he is the Christ He is the Son of the Most High God. He was providing evidence that his message was true. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, believe because of the works themselves. Look at the works that I have done and see the evidence that I provide for you there. That those that have eyes to see and ears to hear, you may come to believe. You may see these works and believe that I have come from my Father. But there's a great danger there. There's a great danger as we continue to focus in, if we're not careful, if we, as we continue to focus in on the missional aspect, the reality that Jesus has come to usher in the kingdom of God, there's, a, there's always a danger there that we can focus there and completely miss on the compassion that drives what He does. Forgetting that Jesus Christ came and was compelled by great love and mercy and compassion. So if we're not careful, this going to become something cold, something distant. Something helpful, but frankly uncaring. As if the works that Jesus was doing, the the provision that he was giving to these people that had such desperate need, as if it was just some kind of indifferent byproduct to the kingdom of God coming. And yet we know that's not true. We know with with absolute certainty that Christ Jesus was moved by great compassion and love for the people that were around him. But you see, this is the the struggle of the Christian life. A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the holy, He says that what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your head when you think about God? I can learn a lot by a man, about a man. If I ask him that, What is God? And then listen. And yet because we're finite beings, trying to grapple with the infinite. Because we are beings here on this planet, ensnared by sin and struggle and suffering. We're always playing this game. We're always just trying to stay out of the ditches. You veer way over here, just reveling in the sovereignty of God. And you forget over here that he's given us free will. And you focus over here on the free will of God. And you forget that God is providential over all. Just constantly playing this, this game of back and forth, overcorrecting time after time after time. And I will confess it in my own life. There have been times when I've been so focused on the glory of God that I've forgotten that He is compelled by compassion for men. While I know that it is absolutely true to say that the primary motivator, God's primary concern at all times and in all ways is His glory, that's the primary mover in everything. God never loses sight of his glory. And yet, this infinitely glorious God is also a God of steadfast love. He loves us. He provides for us. He cares for us. For his glory, yes, but also out of love and mercy and grace and compassion for us. We know that he is the father of mercies. Is the God of grace, the one who brings all great comforts. And that Christ Jesus, the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells, God's only begotten son, we would expect to see nothing different. The same kind of love, the same kind of mercy, the same kind of compassion, we would expect you to see it flowing out of him, and we do. We come this morning to another encounter where Jesus, clearly driven by compassion for the people, he acts. Now, you'll remember that, Jesus has left the primarily Jewish areas, and he's gone up into the Gentile areas of Tyre and Sidon, and then he he decided he was going to come back home, and yet instead of just heading straight south and going right back to Capernaum, he took a long and tough at times journey to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, to the Gentile region called the Decapolis, these ten uh, Greek cities, and that it was there that he was healing, yet again, he was healing just massive crowds of people. Just as everywhere else that Jesus went, there were crowds of people that were coming to him, and he was healing them. Just by the, by, the, by the bunch, he was healing them. And every once in a while, he would drag someone to the side, and he would look them in the eye to show this compassion and this care for them. But what we read in Matthew's gospel is that at the end of this, the end result of this is that the people were glorifying the God of Israel. You see we we haven't read about any specific teaching that Jesus did in this Gentile area but apparently there was enough there that these people knew that Jesus had come from God and they knew that the God of Israel was not like the God that was not God called Baal it was not like these false gods of the Greeks that this was a God of great compassion and love and mercy and power they recognized this and so the end result of what Jesus had come to do there was the people were glorifying the God of Israel recognizing that the same God, the God who is the God of Israel, he also has compassion on the Gentiles, on the outsiders. So go ahead and stand your feet, please, as we return to Mark's gospel. We're in Mark 8, beginning in verse 1. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from afar far way. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and having given thanks, he broke it. And he gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few fish, a few small fish, excuse me. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away, and immediately they got into a boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. And All God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Father God, would you use this word to prepare our hearts? Prepare us for your table. There's nothing we can do to cleanse ourselves. There's nothing we can do to deal with our own sin and doubts and fear. So We ask you to do what only you can do now, Father. For it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. So, Jesus still in this most, mostly Gentile region, the crowd comes again, and apparently either they had run out of food or they forgot to bring food for the journey. And so he, that is Jesus, called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. So, the people have been now with Jesus for three days. Now again, we're not told expressly of any teaching that Jesus was giving, but surely he had to have been expressing to them the realities, the news of the kingdom of God. But whatever it was, the people did not want to leave. Despite having nothing to eat, despite having nowhere to sleep, these people were so compelled. They were so enraptured with Christ Jesus, they wanted to be where he was and didn't matter if their earthly needs weren't being met at that moment. So they slept under the stars. They woke up in the morning with empty bellies and they stayed there with Jesus. Absolutely captivated. We don't know how many of them had true saving faith We would imagine it was very few of them everywhere else Jesus went There were only very few small remnant that really had true saving faith and yet Whatever it was even if it was just the food from his hands that they had heard about in other places Maybe it was just the message he preached. Maybe it was the healing whatever it was it kept them there They would not go away and Jesus was aware of this He was aware that the crowd was not going to leave and he was aware that they were hungry I want you to notice something here, though. Back in the feeding of the 5,000 in Mark 6, it was the disciples that came to Jesus. You remember that they traveled across the Sea of Galilee. They got out of the boat, and immediately they were met by a crowd. And after some healing and some teaching, Scripture tells us that Jesus had great compassion for them. It wasn't the disciples that instilled the compassion in Jesus. Jesus had great compassion for the crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd. But he allowed his disciples to come to him and make the request. You see, church, God knows what you need. He sees and he has compassion for what you need. And there are times when he has ordained that the way that he's going to meet your needs is he's going to have another come and pray on your behalf. He's going to have another come and offer up a supplication, a prayer of God, would you supply to them, a prayer of intercession. That God not only ordains the means, but he not only ordains what you're going to get, but he ordains the means. In that first instance, it was the means of the disciples coming to him and saying, Jesus, you've got to send these people away so that they can have something to eat. But Jesus already had the compassion. He was already compassionate for him. He had already determined in his heart that he was going to meet this need in this miraculous way. But then in this morning's text, we see that it's Jesus that initiates the conversation. That it's Jesus that expresses, I have compassion. I have compassion for these people, and we need to feed them. But I want you to think about this for a minute. It's only been three days. Jesus Christ himself fasted for 40 days in the wilderness under temptation of of the evil one. Surely his disciples in all their travels, they had gone more than three days without eating. I know of many of you within this room that have fasted for three days before. It wasn't that these people were in danger of dying. He did have concern that they might grow weak and fall, that they might grow weak and faint on their way back home. But this probably wasn't a life or death issue for most of these people. They were not in danger of starving after three days without food. And yet still Jesus had compassion. Still Jesus had compassion and he had concern. And that's what drove him in this compassion. The same compassion that drove him to heal the people that were possessed by demons, to cause the lame to leap, the same compassion that he expressed for the Jewish people, he now expresses for these Gentiles. And again, we're not told explicitly that any of them came to saving faith. We're not told explicitly that he preached the kingdom of God, and there was some mass awakening where people came, and they believed, and they trusted in Jesus Christ here. And yet he was concerned. He was concerned by something as simple as a lack of food for three days. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread out here in this desolate place? Are these dudes really this dense? I mean, it was, it was just two chapters ago. It's only like three pages in my little Bible, a f- couple of months at most, and Jesus had just fed a crowd larger than this one. We're told it's 5,000 men plus women and children, so 25, maybe 30,000 people Jesus has fed miraculously in a very similar situation to this. And yet these guys, they don't seem to know. They don't seem to understand what's going on here. They have doubt that he could do this again. Now, some people will try to tell us that this was actually just one instance. There are some people that will tell us, well, look, the reality is that this is the same doubt that the disciples had back in the feeding of the 5,000, that this is actually only one feeding, and that what happened was either Mark or whoever he got his source material from, whoever he heard this from originally, that they were just confused, and they split this out into two because the story came to them in a different way. But we know this isn't true. We know this isn't true in part because as we read through, we see differences, differences in the number of people, difference in the number of loaves, difference in the word used for fish, difference in the word used for baskets, difference in the in number of baskets that are collected to, uh They collected the leftovers. But even beyond that, as we look forward in Mark's gospel, Mark 8, 18 through 21, Jesus is rebuking his disciples because they're worried about their bellies again. They're worried about where they're going to get food from. And this is what Jesus tells them Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, seven. And he said to them, Do you still not understand? Clearly, these were two separate instances. One, a feeding of Jewish people in Jewish land, and one, the feeding of Gentile people in Gentile land. We see it's the same work, very similar work, the way in which he's going about about this. So how did these guys still not get it, though? How were they still so confused? Had they forgotten what he had done? Certainly not. Maybe, perhaps. How many crowds had Jesus come into contact with between the 5,000 and the 4,000? Who knows? And we're not told that he fed any of those. So maybe... The disciples, they believed that this was a one-time deal. He did that one time, and he wasn't going to do it again. Maybe they didn't want to be presumptuous. We're told that the Pharisees demanded a sign. Maybe the disciples didn't want to demand a sign, and so rather than be presumptuous, they didn't push Jesus on this. Maybe it was because they believed that They didn't want to respond. They saw Jesus' response to the crowd the last time. As the crowd chased him around the Sea of Galilee, sought to make him their king, and then he confronted them with that tough teaching, and then all the crowd went away. Maybe they were fearful. Look, if Jesus feeds his people, he's going to end up chasing them away. And we like this feeling of being rock stars. We love the people coming around us and being excited that we're connected with Jesus. I think maybe it had something to do with the fact that they were in Gentile territory. Maybe he believed that God only acted in that way for the insiders, for the Jewish people. He couldn't possibly care for the Gentiles. He couldn't possibly have the same compassion for these Gentile people that he did for his own, for his own Jewish people. Whatever the reason, they don't say anything to indicate to us that they understand, that they get what Jesus was about to do. Verse 5, and so he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them, This really does resemble the last feeding, and so we don't need to completely dissect the mechanics of it, because it is very, very similar. A few loaves. We're told this time that it's seven instead of five. A few fish. We're not told how many fish this time. Jesus, again, he he blesses it. He gives thanks. The, The Greek word there is Eucharisto. It's where we get the word Eucharist, where many people talk about what it is that we're about to do here. Giving thanks, just like on the night of the Lord's Supper. He took the bread, and he gave thanks, breaking the bread. But the mechanics are very much the same as he has the people sit down. It's 4,000 this time. Now, Matthew tells us it's 4,000, including, in in addition to that, there's women and children. So, again, this may have been a crowd of tens of thousands of people. But, again, he takes the loaves and he takes the fish, nowhere near enough to feed these people. Nowhere near enough to feed these people. And I have to imagine that as he takes this food from the disciples, that there was at least one of them that thought, shouldn't we hold some back? If you take this food and you give it to all these people, what if I'm going to go without? We're not home yet, Jesus. There's not exactly a lot of people around here that love us. You've got the Jewish leaders that want to destroy us. You've got Herod that wants to kill us, and you're going to give away all of our provisions to these Gentile dogs, these people that are outsiders. And yet they hand it over every single bit of it to him. And as he blesses it and he breaks it, it just keeps going and going and going. Beloved, this is a creation miracle. I, I, I want to see how this happened. When I get to heaven, I want to ask Jesus, what did it look like? Like you're you're breaking the bread and you're handing the pieces, probably filling up baskets for the guys. And then where's the rest come from? Like does it literally materialize in your hands? Does it materialize in the basket? Are you are you turning your back so they can't see what's happening that you're doing this? He's creating something out of nothing. Nobody does this. Nobody can do this. He was driven by compassion for the people. And, of course, he has enough leftovers, right? has enough leftovers to fill the baskets. But there's something interesting to me here. You notice that the woman, the Syrophoenician woman that came to Jesus, she said, look, even the crumbs from the table of the Jews would be enough. Just give me a crumb. I would have expected then. I would have expected then that when we got to this story, what we're told is that Jesus took the crumbs that they collected from the feeding of the Jewish 5,000 and said, here's your crumbs. Your crumbs are enough. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't give them a crumb. He doesn't give them a morsel. He gives them enough that they're satisfied, that they're completely filled. He doesn't go to the Gentile world and say, okay, the crumbs are what you're going to receive. He says, yes, my priority is to the Jews, but I'll provide for you with the same love, the same mercy, the same compassion to the same degree that I have my Jewish people and so he fills them they're satisfied and while the disciples may not have known what Jesus was going to do he knew that when Jesus works he works completely just as he doesn't heal partially this is when he heals, a man is immediately up and well. He knows that when he feeds people, they are satisfied. And we see this in the language that they use. You'll remember that back in the feeding of the 5,000, that Philip came to Jesus and they said, and as Jesus tells them, hey, you need to go away. You need to feed these people, that his response was, Jesus, even 200 denarii would not buy enough food for everybody to have a crumb, for everybody to have a bite, for everybody to have a morsel. And yet in this instance, what they say is, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And the word used for feed, is cortazo. Cortazo means to be satisfied. They had already caught that much. They understood when Jesus feeds, he doesn't just feed with crumbs. He doesn't just feed with scraps. That he comes and he works in a way that is satisfying, that is filling, never leaving man with lack. Now, of course, the ultimate picture here is spiritual. Remember that Jesus has said over and over again, he said to this Jewish crowd, It's me that you've come for those of you that come to me, you will never again hunger. Those of you who believe in me, you will never again thirst. He's saying, just as I can provide bread from nothing here in the wilderness, those of you that come to me, you will find every last thing you need satisfied in me. The picture here, of course, is spiritual. But this does not discount his compassion. Does not discount his concern for these people. Again, not knowing how many of them. We're not told that any of these people came to true saving faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, driven by compassion, he cares for them. We know that many of these people had no interest in following Christ. They just wanted his goodies, and still he was compelled by compassion. But, beloved, we're reminded of this. As those that have been filled with the Spirit, as those that do see Jesus Christ as more than just a means to some bread, more than just a means to something to eat, we're reminded that the ultimate display of Jesus Christ was at the cross. For the sake of his Father's glory, yes, absolutely, but driven by great love and compassion we understand why Jesus was there we know why Jesus was in the wilderness in the first place that these people would come to him and he would feed him that he had left the riches of heaven the glory of heaven to become a humble servant driven by great compassion zeal for the father's glory to be glorified himself absolutely but ultimately as he looked around him he had great compassion That's the thing about compassion compassion isn't just a warm feeling Compassion isn't just some kind of sense of sympathy for people compassion compels you to act knowing that God in heaven looked down upon people even people who were rebellious against him Even people who were sinners even people that had made this mess that we now live in the middle of he was driven by Compassion to send his son to unclean people to unworthy people He would leave the riches of heaven to be born of a born of a virgin To live the perfect life and to fulfill all righteousness. And then to take our place on a cross. To die a sinner's death, a gruesome sinner's death. To drink down the fullness of his father's wrath, what we deserved. Again, driven by compassion. Knowing that there's no way that man could save themselves. We couldn't save ourselves any more than those people could feed themselves out there in the wilderness. Driven by that same compassion, he said, I know that you cannot do this. You cannot reconcile yourself to God. You cannot get back to God. You cannot create something from nothing. You cannot create life from death. So I'm going to come and I'm going to do that completely and wholly. And those of you that come to me, you don't just get a morsel of salvation. You don't just get a piece of salvation. You don't just get enough to tide you over for a moment. You get eternal life, full, complete, total. And at the same time, he says, those of you that will follow me, You see, it's not that Jesus is just enough for salvation. It isn't just Jesus gives you just enough to squeak into heaven. What he says is, I will give you enough, yes. I'll give you all that you need for eternal life. But in addition to that, as you walk through this life towards heaven, I will continue to meet you and nourish you. That's what this table is. As we come to this table and we remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross, as we proclaim his resurrection, as we look forward to his return, As we thank him for this body that he has built, that he has joined us together to, at the same time, we know that he meets us here and he nourishes us. Spiritually, he nourishes us. The same body, the same blood that was given for us on the cross. Somehow, he meets us here and he nourishes us. He sees us and he has compassion for us. As a great high priest, one who has been tempted in every way as we have, yet without sin, one that knows what it's like to suffer, one that knows what it is like to submit to the father's will while surrounded by nothing but sin and rebellion knows what it's like to be tempted by the evil one he looks to you and he has compassion he sees where you're at he knows the ways that the enemy is attacking you he knows the doubts that you have in your own mind he knows the fears that you have he knows the sins you've committed he knows right where you are and he says now come to my table and be fed I'm not going to send you away to faint. You're going to come into this place, and you're going to want to stay with me. You're going to want to be with me forever. You're going to get into this holy huddle and never leave because the world is a wreck. And he says, I'm going to call you into this place, and I'm going to feed you so that when I send you out, it doesn't become too much. I know what the journey looks like ahead of you, and I'm going to make certain that you do not faint. I'm going to make certain that your faith does not fail because it's I that gave you that faith. It is I that feed that faith. It is I that strengthen that faith. That's what this table represents. Beloved, it's an incredible offer. It's an incredible offer. But it's not for everybody. It's only for those that have come to faith, life-saving faith in Jesus Christ, those that have stopped trying to feed themselves. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Do you understand what that means? It means that your heavenly Father knows everything that you need. He says in his word that the days of your life were numbered while you were still being formed in your mother's womb. That he knows the days of your life. He's not going to stop supplying your every need until the point in which he determines he's going to call you home. But from he'll, here till there, I'll provide your every need so you just keep your eyes fixed on the kingdom. That's what this table represents that you're reminded that the one that can make bread from nothing, that can call you from death to life, he continues to meet you here, he continues to feed you, he continues to nourish you, continues to strengthen you. So when you leave this place, you need not be afraid of what waits. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and we thank you. You are so, so good, Father. Time and time again, in the face of our rebellion, in our distrust, in our weak faith, you've shown your goodness and your compassion. We thank you, Father, that you look upon us. You see and you hear the struggles. And yet, Father, you come to us. You've not left us alone as orphans. That you give us what we need for the day, not only physically, but spiritually. You should continue to feed and nourish and strengthen us. Father, you also warn us about this table. That to come to this table in an unworthy manner could have very real consequences. So, Father, it is our desire to come to this table, not having earned a spot. We can't do it. Not being absolutely free of sin because we can't do it. But, Father, we want to come to this table with the absolute right posture, the posture of nothing short. Of repentant saving trust in Christ Jesus recognizing that this food was bought at a great price that we could not pay recognizing that we have not earned our place here and that if Jesus Christ had not bid us to come we had no business coming so father cause us to examine our hearts now reveal anything there that does not belong and bring us to your table For it's in his precious name we pray amen